Yeah, you're allowed to clap. We just sang the gospel. How powerful was that? That's why we all got excited because Christ arose. One day will arise, right? Amen. And, and it's fall. It's always easier to love Jesus in the fall. <laughs> like no one's like, I love the dead of July. No one says that. Well, good morning. Welcome back to our series in the New Testament book of First John, last week, James and Nicola during Family Sunday, they brought the word. What does it look like? What does it look like to have a marriage that pleases God? And what does it look like to have a family? And the family could be you're single. It could be you got 10 kids. It could be you have no kids. But what does it look like? God's design. They're going to continue that in our next, our next Family Sunday. We're excited about that. Two weeks ago, Jim talked about what it means to be a child of God. And he said that our, our primary identity is first and foremost as a son or a daughter of God. And so this week, we're going to talk about, about love. And how do we, as, as God's children, how do we love? Uh, maybe you didn't know this. If you didn't, I'll tell you. Um, John, the Apostle John, he is known as the Apostle of Love. Uh, over 40 times in this, this, not a little epistle, but this mid-sized letter, the book of 1 John, over 40 times. Now, mind you, remember, he wrote the gospel of John, but over 40 times alone, he mentions agapeo, unconditional, God-like love, in this letter that we're studying. Really, really good stuff. So do me a favor, please, if you haven't already, open your Bibles, uh, your Bible apps, to 1 John chapter 3, you can go to the Version Bible app, and my outline is there, so you can take notes if you miss a quote, miss a scripture, whatever it might be. All right, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 11, for this is the message. We'll unpack that more in just a minute. This is the message you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Okay, quick poll here. I want everyone to, to get involved. How many, how many in this room... Um, um, how many of you would like more love? Just raise your hand. Okay, this isn't a rhetorical question. Come on. There's, yeah, you all want more. Uh, that one guy in the back's like, I don't want love. But okay, but other than that, we all want love, right? Like nobody wears a t-shirt that says down with love, right? No one, no one wears a t-shirt that says I'm against love. It needs to stop. It just needs to stop. No one does that. No one wears that t-shirt. The world would be a better place if there were, were more love. Are you ready for this? The world would be a better place if Christians loved each other and others more. Just, just Christians. Like, just Christians do what you're supposed to do. And, and John is going to talk more about that this morning. Underline for me, if you would. I said I'd get here the word message. You see it up there. Underline it, line it in your mind, or if you're writing in your Bible or you're taking notes, underline that, write that word down. It's a really important word in our text this morning. Um, this is the message which you have heard from the beginning. This specific word, translated message, appears only two times in the entire New Testament. You're like, whoa. Both times are in First John. And it's important that um, he's not referring, it's important for us to know this, he's not referring to a sermon or a lecture but it's a command. In both inferences, he 
is basically commanding us, this is the duty of every believer. He's saying this is the command, this is the obligation, this is the distinguishing mark of every single Christian. This is your message, this is your command that you love. And he says basically by using that word the way he does, he says it's a non-negotiable. It's, it's not an option. And yet, we live in a world full of options, don't we? You're like, Lee, man, this is, in my first world, world that I live in, which is just about every one of us in this room, not everyone, but it's better, we just have options. Everything is negotiable. Let me illustrate. Ruth and I are in the process, this may be too much information, but you know me, I'm just going to lay it out there, no pun intended. We're in the process of buying a new bed. And uh, everybody is telling us, I mean, everybody's telling us, you got to get a tuft and needle bed. You gotta get you gotta get a tuft and needle. Who has a tuft and needle? Don't be ashamed. Who has a tuft and needle? Wow, there's a lot of you like it. Is it a good bed? Okay, I wanted to get a picture. I did some research, and this is what I I saw. Um, I don't think the toddlers included, but maybe I don't know. Okay, and so it's just the way I am. I'm starting to do my research. I get online. I'm I'm looking for a bed. I'm thinking, how hard can this be? And so I click onto the web page and I get online, and immediately I I've got options. So you say, well, what do you mean? Well, there's not just one kind of bed. There's, there's the tuft and needle mattress, the original. But now there's not only the original, because that wasn't good enough. There's the mint. The mint. And so the original has adaptive foam. The mint enhanced adaptive foam. <laughs> of course. I need that enhanced ad- adaptive foam. The original has proprietary gel heat wicking blend, the mint 30% more proprietary gel heat wicking blend, the original two layers of the fine-tuned universal comfort, mint, wait for it, three layers, three layers. And on top of all that, the mint has 30% more cooling gel beads and that added, that necessary added um, edge supports. Now I have no idea what that is, but I've got to have it now. I demand it. You say, Lee, what's the point? My, my point is this, we live in a world of options. And so what we tend to do sometimes with God's word is we're like, uh, I think maybe I'll make this an option. And, and God says, this is not an option. You say, well, who does this? Well, you know, I've been a pastor long enough where I've had, and I wrote some of these things down just from memory. And, and I've had people say to me, people who know and love Jesus, they say things like this, Lee, there are, you know, I'm a follower of Jesus. Lee. Yeah, I know that. But you just need to know this. I don't have to love everybody because some people are, and I quote, so bad or they hurt me or they hurt someone I love or whatever so I don't have to love them. And what John is saying here in verse 11 is that loving one another isn't an option that we can, we can add or not add to our life. It is the identifying mark of, of who we are. Earlier in his gospel, the gospel of John, he quotes Jesus. And this sounds familiar, right? John chapter 13 and verse 34, Jesus speaking, Jesus says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another. Verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, often people say, well, how do you, how do you know someone's a Christian? Do, do they wear a cross? Is that it? 
back to the t-shirt analogy, maybe there's that, that ichthus, that, you know, the t-shirt. Maybe it's, um, I don't know, maybe it's a bumper sticker or a cape with the letter C. No, no it's real simple. The identifying mark, how you know someone knows and loves and follows Jesus is this, they love. And it's not optional. Now, I know where you're going with this, because I went there too. You're saying, wait a second, I got to love everybody. But do I have to like everybody? Let me say this. Loving one another is not the same as liking one another. Ideally, it would be good to do both. But does God say we have to like everyone? No. Why? Because some people are horrible people. I mean, they're just, they're just horrible people. They're not likable. But I have to love them. Jesus said to love your what? Yeah, your neighbors and your enemies. Yes. And sometimes your neighbors are your enemies. Can I get an amen? Yeah. You don't have to like them, but you, you have to love them. Does God say that we have to trust everyone? No, because some people are dangerous. Do not let them babysit your kids. Don't, hey, ladies, men, there's some people, don't go on a date with them. They're nutty. They're dangerous. They're scary. But you got to love them. You got to love them. You can love them, but you can still protect yourselves from them. Liking someone is a physical and emotional thing. This is really important. Love God's love, agapeo, agape love, however, is a spiritual and supernatural thing. Liking someone is physical and emotional. Loving someone is a, a spiritual and supernatural thing. Here's the truth. It does not matter how many wars we wage, how many protests we hold, how many dollars we raise, how many talk radio calls we make, unless the human condition is dealt with, we'll continue to behave in a way that is natural and not supernatural. We'll continue to, to respond to indifference and hate. You ready? We'll respond to indifference and hate with indifference and hate. But when God changes our hearts, we can respond in love. This morning in our text, we're going to learn how to do just that. We're going to look at, at two case studies. I love, John is so good, so convicting, so practical. He just lays it out. It just, it just builds one thought upon the other. And so he's like, man, the identifying mark of who you are, the message which is commanded to you as a follower of Jesus is you love. It's not an option. And oh, by the way, let me give you some examples of A, how to love, B, how not to love, right? So really, it's A is first. He gives us a, a, a bad example, right? And that's Cain. And then he's going to give us the example of Jesus. And then we're going to finish with an application. Okay, first example, a, a bad example, and that's Cain. First John chapter 3 and verse 11, for this is the message. This is the command that you heard from the beginning. I'm commanding you right now, love one another. Here's an example of what not to do, though. Verse 12, do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were very, well, I'm adding very, but were righteous. Um, John, John didn't have to search far in the Bible to, to find an example, a bad example of how not to love. He went straight to Genesis chapter 4 uh, to the story of the first person born on the earth 
and they, he was born to sinful parents. She said, wait a second, what about Adam and, well, Adam and Eve were created? Then they fell into sin, the fall, and now they give birth to the first, first child. Um, their first child, according to Genesis, was Cain. He had another brother named Abel. And then Cain murdered um, his brother Abel. Literally, the Hebrew word, this is interesting, I won't spend much time here, just think about this. The Hebrew word there means he slit his throat. Most scholars think it's like he performed a sacrifice on his brother. Whoa. Like he sacrificed his brother. Like he was supposed to bring the right sacrifice. He didn't, so he sacrificed his, his brother. Why? What horrible thing could have happened that would lead one brother to kill another? Well, in Genesis, we learn that Abel offered a sacrifice that was acceptable. It was an animal. Uh, and God offered one that was unacceptable. We're not sure exactly what's going on here. We don't know if, if Cain knowingly offered an inappropriate sacrifice, which was fruits and vegetables, so to speak. It was from his guard. We don't know if that's the case, maybe. We don't know if it was his attitude. We don't know if it was a combination uh, of both. The one thing we do know is that it wasn't Abel's fault. It was, it was Cain's fault. And, and just as a reminder to us, I, I need to point out that this is really important that God could have, that Cain could have corrected the problem. God actually gives him a warning ahead of time. How good is God? Like, God does that. The Holy Spirit does that. And so God is gracious. In Genesis chapter 4 and verse 6, he says this. We often forget this. He says, hey, Cain, why are you so angry? This is before the murder. This is God lovingly coming to Cain, saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. Then verse 7, I want you to see this behind me. He says this in verse 7. He says, if you do what is right... Will you not be accepted? By the way, never underestimate doing right. We always kid with Jim. He's the, Jim is the do right guy. He just says, do right, do right. There's something about doing right. Man, Cain, I love you so much. I'm giving you a warning like the Holy Spirit does to us. Here's the warning. Do right. If you do, you'll be accepted. Hey, don't become a victim here. I'm telling you, do right. But if you do not do what is right, guess what? Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. But, but you, this is interesting, you can do this. By my power, my strength, you can master this. This was a pivotal moment in Cain's life. His soul, his future, his intimacy with God is hanging in the balance God warns Cain to root out the sin from his life. If he didn't, it would destroy him. He wanted him to stop making excuses and, and accept and take responsibility for his behavior. Look at, look at the phrase, sin is, is crouching at your, at your door. Some scholars would translate this a wild animal. Others, this is really interesting, others would translate this as a demon. So here's the door. And then through that door, is a door you're not supposed to go through, is sin. Really, really destructive sin. And there is a demon right there, crouching, waiting, whispering, encouraging. Thus we would say that sin is being portrayed as a doorway demon waiting to ambush its victim as it crosses over the threshold of the door. Let me ask you something. This is really personal now. I want you to think about this. What sin is crouching at your door? 
What sin is crouching at the, your heart like a doorway demon just waiting to destroy you? And by the way, that's what sin does. It destroys. It doesn't stay neutral. It's like a heat-seeking missile. It, it is seeking to kill. The, the writer of Hebrews puts it this way. He calls it that sin that so easily entangles. And, and it's different for everyone, right? What sin is it that so easily entangles you and me? Is it, is it unforgiveness? Is that demon of unforgiveness just sitting there? I don't need to forgive. They, you don't know what they did to me. And, and you know, to be honest, unforgiveness feels really good. I mean, like right now, I'm just kind of savoring unforgiveness. I have control. If I don't forgive, that means I'm in control. Is it envy, jealousy? Is it lust? Is it pride? Here's another one that feels good in the moment, but destroys us, the Bible tells us, when we swallow it, gossip. How about this one? Unthankfulness. A root of bitterness. Here's my all-time favorite right now. It's destroying our country. It's destroying the body of Christ. A spirit of offense. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't have a spirit of offense? Hey, what's going on here? I'm sinless. I'm not going to die for these people. This is wrong. Whatever sin it is, we need to deal with it. And we have to be intentional about this. You say, what does that look like? Here's what I do every day, if this helps you. And I do it often throughout the day, hopefully less and less as I grow in Jesus. But I wake up, and I, you know me, I get to my prayer of chair, and I'm in my chair of prayer, and I'm praying, and I'm, I'm confessing things. And I, what I do is I begin to, first off, I acknowledge the sin that I've done. This is, okay, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have thought that. I shouldn't have done that, God. And then I confess it. And this is what I love about the word confess. Don't overthink it. Confess means to agree with. That's all it means. Jesus, I should not have said that to Ruth. That was wrong. And I got to get that right with Ruth, but forgive me. I agree with you that that was vindictive or that was out of anger or that was inappropriate. So I acknowledge it, I confess it, and then the most beautiful word in the Bible, I repent of it. By the power of the Holy Spirit living in me, I say, I'm not going to do this. I'm going the other way. I'm not going this way. I'm not going to walk through that door. I'm not going to let that demon cajole me, whisper to me, push me, encourage me to go through that. I'm not going to do it. I'm going the other way. And I can do that because of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. Every morning we wake up and we ask the Holy Spirit, I do, to fill me to use me, to live in me, and then in the moment of temptation, I do it again, and I do it again, and I do it again, and I do it again. We are a people that must be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Oh God, forgive us. Somehow we have relegated the third person of the Trinity to to the back room. What happened to us? I can do nothing apart from the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. For Cain, the text tells us that he murdered Abel because his actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Now, how did he get there? Let me illustrate again. Suppose you and your brother, or you and your sister, live next to each other. And you have big lawns. And you mowed your lawn um, when you have to. You're that guy, right? You're that gal. 
oh, my lawn, it's, it's, it's scraggly, there's weeds, I let it go too long, um, I don't always hedge it, I blow the grass out into the street, and I blow it over to my neighbor, hoping he won't notice, and you're that guy. But your brother, whoo, he mows it, he fertilizes it, he trims it, it looks good. People literally, they drive by, and they roll down the window, and they see your lawn and your brother's lawn, they're like, man, your brother's lawn, he's got it going, he's awesome. Your lawn, not so much. What's wrong with your lawn? So you have a decision to make, right? You have a decision to make. You could go out and you could buy weed killer, imagine that, and fertilizer, and you could give a little more love and attention to your lawn. However, you decided it would be easier to simply just kill your brother. I know, you've thought about that with your neighbor. I know you have. This way, his lawn will become just as bad as your own. And I know that's a a silly, crazy illustration, but that's what Cain did. Instead of changing his actions, he chose to eliminate the one who was making him look bad by doing the right thing. He decided to kill his brother rather than change his ways. He, he tried to lower the standard of holiness to where he was living his life. Now John seizes upon this and he drives home the point. In light of Cain hating Abel, he says to us in verse 13, Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. You're like, what? Where did that come from? He says, hey, Abel was living right. He was living different. He was being pleasing to God. He was living for the pleasure and the obedience of Jehovah, and Cain was not, and Cain hated him for that. And so John says, hey, by the way, don't be surprised that the world hates you. And again, we can go back to the Gospel of John where Jesus says, in John chapter 15, and verse 18, he says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. You're like, I, I want the applause of the world. Do you? As it is, you do not belong to the world. You have a new nature as Jim said a new identity I've chosen you out of the world that is why the world hates you please write this down the world is not going to hate you because you're good don't 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 get that wrong the world's not going to hate us because we're good generally speaking the world admires good people the world applauds and honors people who, who do good that's not what's going on here you said what's going on Jesus says the world will hate us not because we do good things, but but, but because we belong to him. There is an exclusivity to the person of Jesus Christ that the devil hates and, and, and hence the world hates. Jesus says, I'm the only way, I'm the only truth, I'm the only life. There is no other way to the Father in a pluralistic, universalistic world. Man, that makes people mad. The exclusivity of the gospel and that you're akin to that, it makes them mad at you. But also, Also, when we live out the ethos of Jesus, and I mean actually live it out, the light of Jesus exposes the darkness in the life of a non-believer. And sometimes that produces anger. Jesus says, don't be surprised by that. And sometimes in other parts of the world, it produces death. John 
takes, now takes a sudden turn in his argument, uh, which he often does, very convicting. In verse 15, he says, anyone who hates a brother or sister. Now remember, we're going Cain. <laughs> now he's jumping down to anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in, in them. Again, Jesus says something very similar. Matthew chapter 5 in verse 21, you have heard, Jesus said, that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, verse 22, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, a a term of contempt, it may mean hate, I hate you, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of, of hell. You say, whoa, whoa, Lee, what, what just happened? It was all so good. Cain is bad, right? How'd it get down to us? John gives a warning. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. John gives us a warning. John's point is, is pretty direct. When we fail to love others, we're acting just like Cain. When we harbor bad feelings, when we hate or attack another, we are refusing to do what is right, just like Cain. That's the spirit of Cain. When we tear down someone's character and we spotlight someone else's faults um, to make ourselves look, look better, that's a, a murderous attitude. That's the, that's the attitude of Cain. On the other hand, John says this, verse 14, you, we know that we have passed from death to life. That's interesting, isn't it? Because sometimes you're like, how do I really know? I mean, how do I know that I'm a follower of Jesus? Well, here, here, here's how you know. We love one another. We love each other. Anyone who does not love rem- remains in, in death. So, so John gives a warning, and now he gives an encouragement. When we love each other, we give evidence that we are genuine followers of Jesus. When we love our enemies, we show that the love of Christ is in us. When we love, we prove that we really are Jesus' disciples, and this kind of love can only come from, from God's spirit. That heart of stone, when it becomes a heart of flesh and the spirit invades us, then we can love. Okay, first example. Bad example, Cain. Good example. Good example of love, Jesus. John has shown us the negative, what we shouldn't do, and now he looks at this truth from the positive side, what we should do. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 16, um, this is how we know what, what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his, his life for us. Um, the aorist active verb, Jesus laid down, refers to, deliberate, to a deliberate and voluntary act. You say, why is this important? Here's why. Because some people teach... Um, which they really haven't read the Bible. Well, that's okay. They teach, you know, Jesus was just a man. He was a great teacher. He was a rabbi. He was a teacher. And he got caught up in this revolution of love. And he just began to teach. And it was so contrary to to the teachings of the Jews and even the teachings of the Romans that he just accidentally got swept up into death. They just crucified. He He didn't mean to. No, the tense here is that he made a choice to lay down his life on his own. John 10 tells us that Jesus said, I, I, I lay down my life, no man can take it from me. I didn't get caught up in some revolution of love. I this wasn't some accidental thing that was going on. I made a choice. 
He willingly sacrificed himself, and it was all according to God's plan. Jesus wasn't a martyr. The cross is all about a God who had a plan. You ready for this? To reach us. To reach us. And not because he saw anything attractive in us. Man, don't get caught up in that. I'm, I'm a pretty good person. No, you're not. Well, hey, poo, have you, my family's pretty, my dad is an elder. Strike one, okay, strike one. <laughs> he wanted to save us by his grace because he wanted to present and secure a bride for his son. We were on the side of the opposition. We were guilty, deserving of hell. We were devil-embracing, self-loving, sin-cherishing people, and yet he loved us, and Jesus died for us. But, but wait a second. Some people are thinking, well, <laughs> that's Jesus, that's what Jesus did. I couldn't do that. That's self-sacrificing love. Jesus, I get it. He's amazing. He's the son of God. He's God. I get it. But wait a second. John says that that ethos is to be our ethos. That life is to be our life. John chapter 3 and verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. You ready? Here's the second part. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is what it means to refuse the way of Cain. If we want to know what it means to love, we need to look at the life of Jesus and love like Jesus. And then he gives us an example, verse 17. He says this, he says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that? Per I mean, think about this. He's like, what are you doing? Jesus laid down his life for you. He deposited the Holy Spirit in you when you received him. And now you're looking at a brother or sister in need. You're looking at a person who is destitute. It's not just materials, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And you're going, eh, thanks, Jesus, but no thanks. I don't think so. Like the God of the universe taps you on your shoulders and says, hey, look, this is the world. It's unfolding before you. There's people in need. And you're like, no, thanks. I got my own thing I'm doing. I'm making money. I'm spending money. I'm buying tuft and needle like there's no tomorrow. I'm doing whatever I want to do, God. Hey, I'll take salvation. But beyond that, no, thanks. Dear children, verse 18, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. What does the truth mean there? What's going on? John is saying there will be alternative truths with a small t that will be all around you. Cultural truths and religious truths and intellectual truths and philosophical truths. Those aren't the truths that I want you to love with. I want you to love with the truth of God's word. And it looks like loving like Jesus loved. It looks like how he would love. 
So practically, what does that mean? That means if you're a believer, you love everybody, just like Jesus loved them. I don't care. If you're a Democrat, you love a Republican. If you're a Republican, you love a Democrat. Libertarians, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. (laughs) People, what are we doing? We are children of the most high God who lives and dwells inside of us and desires us to do things that matter, not only for the here and now, but for eternity. And we're caught up in the culture. We're caught up in politics. King Jesus transcends politics. We think, we speak, we act differently. It's who we are. We live in a world where we like to talk about what everyone else should be doing rather than doing something ourselves. But love, Jesus type love, says I will in word and deed, I will receive God's love and then I will share God's love tangibly. That's why you see, you see this phrase all the time. It only took us like 15 years to come up with it, but finally we did. This is our tagline. This is our theme at New Heights, to love, to love God passionately and love people tangibly. Here's the danger, right? The danger is we try and do one or the other. The two are beautifully married together. There's people literally going, I love God passionately. I just don't love people. Wrong. Or, man, a cup of cold water, I'm all into that. But, ooh, a God and the Bible and truth and, oh, I don't want that. Jesus said this in the book of John. He said that, John said that Jesus came to, 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 as both a, for, uh, a grace and truth. There is love, there is graciousness, but there is truth. And the two go hand in hand. We are in a time when the cultural mood is just anger. So as followers of Jesus, please hear this. We don't speak anger to anger. We speak love to anger, both with our lips and more so with our actions. So, Cain, a bad example. We reject and we rebuke the spirit of Cain by the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us and we say no to that doorway demon. It's standing, it's crouching, it's right there, it's ready to go. And I say no. I don't have to do that. I don't have to give in to that. I don't have to say that. I don't have to think that. Then we look at the example of Jesus and we say, oh wow. It's not just a Jesus thing to lay down our lives, for him to lay down his life, but it's an us thing to lay down our lives. And so I want to finish this morning with a tangible, practical example of what it looks like to love, not only in word, but in deed. So this time I'd like Terry, Terry Rhodes to come on up. The Rhodes, Terry and Melissa, they um, are getting ready, he'll tell you more about that, to move permanently to Jordan. They have a phenomenal ministry, the Refugee Aid Ministry. And they've been with us as global workers for 10 years. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Rhodes and the Epsteins, 11 years ago, um, we, all, we all went to, a, uh, to Kansas City on a conference on how to raise money for global workers. We were brand new. So these are some of the first people we got to hang out with. And it's been a really fun journey. I've asked Terry to come up. And in just a few minutes, he'll share more about his ministry. 
But I want him to be more practical now, and I want him to explain about some of the things they're doing in Jordan, and then specifically with one family that they've ministered to. So I'm going to ask him some questions. Now let me just caveat this ahead of time, because this is an application. This is an example of loving um, in, in word, not just word, but in, in action and truth. And so you don't have to go to Jordan to love in action and truth. You can love in action and truth right here in Fayetteville or wherever you're from, right here in the United States. You certainly can do both, but you can love your neighbor. You can love your coworker. You can love that family member. You can love whatever, you know, that, that disenfranchised person. So I, I want to make sure you don't walk out here going, oh, man, I got to go to Jordan. No, you don't. This is an everyday thing loving with our actions. So let me ask Terry a couple questions. Um, Terry, uh, first off, um, why Jordan? Well, um, first of all, I want to talk about the refugees. What's going on there is it's one of the largest historical human events in history. There's over 65 million refugees in this world today. That's larger than any time in history, larger than during World War II, during World War I, or things like that. And when you say a refugee, they've been displaced from their country, and they're going someplace, someplace else. Someplace else. Okay. Yes. So that'd be like 20% of America, right? Correct. Wow. And it's something that's on the news every day. So we as the church, we can't say, well, I didn't know about that, or I was unaware and from Lee's sermon, this is what I took from it. If others know we are Christians by our love, we have a responsibility to respond in love. And so Jordan is a country of about 9 million people, and they've taken in 4.5 million refugees. I think, just think about that for a minute. If the United States, we are a country of about 350 million people, what if we took in about 150 million refugees? Think what that would do to our economy, our infrastructure, and things like that. Also, I feel like Jordan is a place where God has brought the world there. They have refugees from Syria, from Iraq, from Yemen, from Sudan, Somalia, Kenya, Uganda, Ethiopia, Eritrea, and other places. It's also centrally located in the Middle East, and it's a safe place to take trips if, if you want to take teams. I, I want to clarify here, this is really important. We often, as you know, we're a church that um, sends people all over the world. We believe the Great Commission, part of it's here uh, in our Jerusalem, but part of it's to the, uh, you know, the, the most difficult places to go. And what we've experienced, a lot of the countries that he just mentioned, we can't even get in there. Um, or, or it's very, very difficult and very, very costly. And so what Terry and Melissa have said was, if God's going to bring them to a safe place where we can go and share the gospel without repercussion, there's nothing more strategic than that. Yes, and for refugees, one of their main goals is to get back to their country. Wow. So let me ask you, um, let's talk about your Sudanese friend, Bakri. And um, what did Bakri initially think about you and Melissa? Well, Bakri is a Sudanese Muslim refugee, and he is from the city of Khartoum. Bakri's and on the right, just in case you didn't. No, I'm kidding. I'm he's in the orange shirt. <laughs> and so our initial visit, when we went there, we talked to him, 
typically a, a visit will last for about two hours and we like to have them share with us and then we share a, uh, a biblical story with them. And when we were talking to him, he was eager to share his story. And then when we asked to share a biblical story, he didn't want us to share. And then we asked if we could pray in the name of Jesus and he said, no. And we offered him a Bible and he refused. But he did receive, or he did offer, uh, receive the gifts that we brought, which was groceries. Well, I was going to ask, so how did you break the ice? I mean, so he, he wants, which James talked about this, James Hawkins talked about this in Proverbs, that we have to hear someone else's story before we tell our own, which is really good. So he told his story, told his, you know, his, about his religion and his life and all that stuff. And you guys patiently listened, but how did you break the ice to be able to tell your story? Well, for us, what we've we found is that you have to keep visiting. We go and visit about three times a year. And with Bakri, we make sure that we visit him every time we go to Jordan. And so after three years of consistently visiting and we help him when we go, we help him with his rent. Um, he also, he has uh, kidney problems. So he has to have dialysis every two days. And so we help pay for that. And once again, we help him with medicine and we pay for groceries. And what's really made the difference though is the visits. He knows that we love him because we keep visiting him. So um, what is Bakri up to now? What's going on? Well, let me tell you a little story about him. Last year in, in uh, December, we were visiting with him and after we got through visiting Pastor Yunan is a pastor from Sudan also, and he visits with Bakri about every two weeks. And after visiting with him, he said, the church has made the decision that we're no longer going to visit Bakri because we haven't seen any spiritual fruit in three years. <clears throat> Once again, Melissa and I visit him about every four months. And in those gaps, we could see growth. And so we encouraged the church to continue to visit with him. And in July, Bakri became a follower of Jesus. And so when you look at this picture, you're seeing two new Christians. Okay. Three years, hundreds of hours, lots of groceries, medical bills, uh, rent. And, and it doesn't always work out this way. But at the very least, he needed to be loved in actions that way. So that's, tell us about his wife and what's going on. And Well, some really good news is that we found out we just came back. That picture is from Monday, just so you know. And I'm not making excuses for Terry because you sound great, but he got in at 4 a.m. this morning and he's had almost no sleep for a couple days. So um, Jesus really loves Terry for sure. I know. <laughs> he does. So, it's amazing. So in the blue is Selwa. And Selwa is um, nine months pregnant. She's going to be giving birth here in two weeks. And they received great news. They are um, becoming U.S. citizens. And so they get their visa, and they will be traveling two months after the birth of, of their new baby daughter. Wow. Praise God. Okay, I'm going to pray, and you guys can pray silently for Bakri in just a minute. But I want Terry to, to explain a little bit more about the tables in the back 
and uh, more so the ministry that you guys do and how we can be a part? Well, we, um, as a team, we would love to receive short-term trips. So if you guys are interested in short-term trips, we have teams coming. We have teams coming in February, in March, in June. We would love to receive you. If you're interested in that, you can come back and see us at the table. Um, we also have a sign-up sheet that you can sign up. We send out newsletters every Sunday if you'd like to receive those and hear about what's going on in our ministry. We also, um, if you're interested in giving aid, we have a school that we're wanting to set up in uh, a northern city of Mafrock. So you could bring by uh, school supplies and things like that. We would love to receive those. So what kind of school? I mean, is it just a basic school? Is it What is it? It's just going to be a school that enhances their education. Is, it taught, is it taught by? It's going to be taught by locals. Locals, okay. Yes. Wow. And what would they do on, if they went on a trip? What, what would they do? If they came on a trip, we would mainly do home visitations where you would come into the house, you would listen to their story, and then you would share a biblical story that, that basically goes along with their story. For example, if they're talking about the fears that they have in their life, then one of the common stories that we share with them is Jesus calming the storms. Okay. So, and you purposely, just so you know, if you go on the trip, the roads have you raise a little bit more money than, than you necessarily would have to, but they use that extra money, once again, to tangibly give. Yes. To use that to buy things like supplies, whether it's food or pay rent or, or, or teaching supplies or medical supplies. So it, it is the both and. Right. And then, of course, we're raising financial support. So if you'd like to hear more, we would love to come and speak at your community group or individuals so you can come by and, and talk to us at the table. Fantastic. Okay, why don't we pray for him? Why don't you stretch forth your hand and pray for this ministry and pray for Bakri and his wife is Selwa? Selwa. Selwa. And pray for um, Bakri and Selwa. Do they have any other children or is this the first child? This is their second child. Second child. Okay, as the worship team comes up, we're going to pray. Lord Jesus fearfully and wonderfully made. This little one that's growing and developing in Selwa's womb, we pray protection over uh, this baby. We pray that um, all will go smooth with the birth, that mom and baby will be healthy. Father God, we pray for continued growth for, um, for Bakri and his wife spiritually, that you'll bring people into their life that will disciple and raise up and model the gospel, model the scriptures to them. Uh, we pray for, for a smooth transition to America, God, that they would come here and find work and find value and be your disciples here, God. We thank you for uh, the ministry of the roads and others who minister to this couple. And God, we pray specifically for Terry and Melissa. Um, I love them. They're amazing. I've watched them for 10 years uh, go and do difficult things and speak hard words at times and love tangibly and love with, with the words of the gospel, God, and disciple and care for, for people. And so, Father, I just pray you continue to bless their ministry, meet their physical needs, meet their, their emotional and spiritual needs, God. Thank you for their ministry, Father. Go before them. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, bro. Well, um, if this is your first time here at New Heights, what, what we do at the end of a service is maybe a little different than um, other churches you've been at. We call it our ministry time, and it's our time to reflect on what God has done for the first hour plus. And so it's a time to take communion. You see tables to my right and my left, and it's an opportunity to get to do what believers are doing presently all over the world, all over the United States, and what they've done for 2,000 years. 
and that is to eat a meal together, so to speak. And this is, seems strange, but to celebrate Christ's death for us, to celebrate the fact that without the shedding of his blood, we wouldn't be forgiven. And so we take communion and we say thank you. We say thank you. It's not only a time to say thank you, it's not only a worship time, but it's a time to look forward. Paul said, first of all, he said, make sure that there's no, no sin that you're dealing with. Confess that before you take communion. But then he said, as you take it, look forward to Christ's return because he's coming back. So it's an opportunity to take communion here during this time. There's um, also an opportunity for prayer. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up right now. You'll see people on my right and my left. And you just may say, hey, I need, I need to go pray with somebody. Or two or more gather. Jesus is in their midst. And maybe you're, you're curious about who Jesus really is. And you're like, I, I want to learn more. Well, people on the prayer team, I'll be up here. You'll see Jim. You'll see myself. You'll see Bruce. You'll, you'll see people with prayer stickers. They would love to tell you about Jesus. Another thing that we do um, quite regularly here at New Heights is, and we love it, we, wish it, we always wish it was more because it represents so much, is we have baptisms. And that baptism is always set up. So this is a planned baptism you're about to experience right now before we go back to worship. But you may be thinking, I want to get baptized. I want to be obedient to Christ's clear command to be baptized. Well, you can do that. We've got a towel in the back, and you can come up and come talk to myself or Jim and, or Bruce, and, and we'd love to baptize you this morning. Um, it could be right now. It could be after the service. Just, just let us know. But right now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it over to Bruce. Bruce.